growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. It is an amazing transformation. It's an astounding thought to think that, that something could go from this to this. Have you ever seen one of those nature shows where time-lapse photography records a caterpillar that enters a cocoon and comes out a butterfly? The transformation is quite remarkable, but there is another transformation that is even more remarkable. Have you ever seen a life transformed? If you're here in a relationship with Jesus Christ, have you ever thought about what your life was like before you came to know Him or what your life would be like had you not come to know Him? And where you are now in your life. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today we conclude our series entitled Experience. So far in this series we've experienced the love, the cross, and last week the empty tomb. Today we're turning our attention to Experience the Transformation. I mentioned a moment ago the remarkable transformation that takes place when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. It's hard to imagine that something as beautiful as a butterfly could come from a caterpillar. The creature that comes out of the cocoon looks nothing like the one that entered the cocoon. If I was a caterpillar and I, you know, suddenly woke up or whatever and this is what I am, I'd be thinking, woohoo, this is, this is a whole lot better than where I was. Well, today, Pastor Clay is taking us to Mark chapter 5, where we find a transformation taking place that's even more remarkable than the one we see in nature. It's a beautiful picture of what happens when someone meets Jesus, and the power of God brings transformation to their life. Now, here's Pastor Clay with this week's Crosswalk message. Hey, have you ever seen one of those... um, uh, time elapsed photography uh, videos of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. You ever seen those things? I look at some of them on the internet uh, this weekend. I mean, it, it, it really is an astounding thing. You know, I mean, this, I, I don't know if there, if there are any, you know, insect lovers. I'm not trying to insult anybody, but caterpillars are just ugly, man. They're just ugly. And, you know, they just, and they go along, and, and I think about this fact, you know, here are these things, they are so uh, ugly, <laughs> I don't know, and they're so earthbound, right? I mean, they like, and they go in this little thing that they spin, and um, on the video, it takes about five seconds, I'm sure it takes a longer than that, but, but then all of a sudden comes out this, this beautiful monarch butterfly with these, you know, incredibly fragile wings and feet. And, you know, I, I don't know what caterpillars think, but, you know, if I was, if I was a caterpillar and, and I, you know, suddenly woke up or whatever, and this is what I am, I'd be thinking, woohoo, <laughs> this, is, this is a whole lot better than where I was. The view is a lot better from up here, you know, flying around. It is an amazing transformation. It's astounding thought to think that, that something could go from this to this. It is a God thing. Have you ever seen a life transformed? Have you ever seen uh, or thought about, if you're here in a relationship with Jesus Christ, have you ever thought about what your life was like before you came to know him or what your life would be like had you not come to know him? And where you are now in your life? I was telling a lady yesterday at Golfsmith. (laughs) I was telling a lady yesterday... um, I said, ma'am, there was a time in my life when I, when I was as far from God as anybody could be. 
And I said, God has done a miraculous work in my life. Because she was telling me a little bit about her story. She said, I'm sorry, I'll shut up. And I said, no, I, I love to hear how God works in people's lives. Because that's what God does. That's who God is. He's in the business of transforming lives. Let's experience transformation this morning in the time we have. If you have your Bible with you, open it to Mark chapter 5. We're in verses 1 through 20 of Mark chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we've also got the text up on the screen for your convenience. But uh, from time to time, I'd like to really remind you, encourage you, if you've got a Bible, bring it with you. You never know when you might want to write some notes in it or something like that. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And uh, as we did last week, we're going to do the same this week to uh, uh, just kind of speed up the process a little bit. I'm going to read the text as we go along, because there's some aspects today about transformation that I want to share with you, because that's what this is about. We have, as John alluded to earlier during our worship set, um, by the way, wasn't our praise team awesome today? I mean, they're a couple of keyboards short, and they still, our sound team and our praise team, they just do an awesome job all the time. It sounded great. Um, but... Um, uh, we have experienced the love, we've experienced the cross, we've experienced the empty tomb. And I just wanted to kind of wrap this series up today with, with where all of this leads, to experience the transformation, what takes place in our lives as a result of this relationship that we enter into with God. There's some aspects this morning that I want to share with you. We're in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. The first aspect we're going to start with this morning, though, is this. Transformation begins when Jesus gets right in the middle of our our mess. Now let me read uh, to you this morning verses 1 through 6. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerizines. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him constantly. Now listen to this guy's life. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. I, I tell you, when you begin to read uh, an account like this in, in one of the gospel letters, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you begin to read one of these, it, it, it can sometimes be difficult for a modern audience, for, uh, for the modern time in which we live. It can sometimes be difficult for us to, to get our mind around something like this, you know, this, this whole idea of this kind of stuff going on. But you know what, if you think about it, there's a lot of strange stuff that, go on, that goes on in this world that is really hard to explain. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. The text says this man had an unclean spirit. In other words, he was demon-possessed. By the way, uh, Matthew's account, Matthew actually tells us that there were two men uh, who were demon-possessed, but Mark just focuses on one of them. I think the reason is because of what the man does at the end. But the point is, the man is demon-possessed. Now, uh, there's a lot that we don't know about demon-possession. Okay? But one thing we do know is that the Bible states it as a fact. The Bible states it as a reality. That, that demons, which are, if you're not familiar with that, demons are fallen angels that rebelled against God. They sided with Satan in the rebellion against God. They do at times possess, control the lives of people and sometimes 
animals. The Bible states it simply as a fact. Look at this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, just to kind of remind us. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. It's not just a fleshly thing, Paul's saying. There's more going on here. There's a spiritual realm to this. There's a spiritual dynamic at work, Paul says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The Bible simply states it as a reality. Demon possession is real. It does happen. I'll never forget, years ago, I was with somebody else. I can't remember who I was with. But we went and visited a lady at her home. We had gotten her name from somewhere. Somebody had asked us to go visit her or whatever. We had gone to visit this lady uh, from our church. I mean, she wasn't from the church. We went from the church to visit this lady. She was not a believer. She wasn't in church. She didn't have anything to do with any of that stuff. To, to, but she was very nice. She was very kind. She invited us into her house. And we sat down. And we just, you know, chit-chat, small talk, talking about the weather, her life, how long she'd lived there. And, you know, just, you know, and very pleasant and very nice. But sooner or later, the conversation began to turn toward the, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's where we began to, it, you just, that, that's what we were there for, was just to begin to share with her this message of hope. As Michael said this morning in Romans chapter 10, how, how can they believe in whom they've not heard? So we began, and, and listen, I'm telling you the second, the instant that we began to talk about the love of God, we began to mention the name of Jesus and what Jesus had done. This woman had a, a cat. Now, everybody knows I'm the biggest cat fan in the world because I have a cat, and my cat, I'm pretty sure, is demon-possessed. But, uh, but this woman had a cat, and this cat was outside, okay, but the windows were open, there were screens in the windows, the windows were open, and the second we mentioned the name of Jesus, this cat jumps up into the window and goes psycho. I mean, I can't even begin to explain to you. I've never heard sounds from a cat like this cat made. I mean, right, and we're like sitting on the couch, and this cat is like right there, just, just this Then a piece of screen is all that's separating me from certain death. Because this cat is like scratching, clawing at the screen, just going crazy. And the woman said, I just, I don't don't know what's going on. I've never seen my cat act that way. I've never seen my cat sound like this. I just don't know what's gotten into my cat. Now, I didn't want to offend her, but I was pretty sure what had gotten into her cat. Because, listen, can I tell you this? Now, you can say, oh, that's just coincidence. I, I don't, whatever. Okay, but I'm telling you, this woman's eternal destiny was hanging in the balance right then as we began to share the message of Christ. Like I said, you believe it, I'm just telling you, I've been too many places in the world and I've seen too many things that simply cannot be explained naturally. I don't don't get too hung up on this whole demon-possessed thing. I'm not trying to build a case for demon possession. The fact is, this guy's mess was a life. I mean, it was a mess. Look at this guy's life. Look at this guy's life. I mean, I, I think... I think I have it bad sometimes because um, I have little aches and pains or um, I get caught in a traffic jam or I, I make a triple bogey or you know, something like this. This guy is living in a cemetery. Th- this is his life. And, 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 and he's lost everything. Apparently everybody has given up on him. 
apparently at some point somebody tried to help him because they tried to bind him with, with chains and, and whatever all that they're using. They tried to bind him, but one of the characteristics of demon possession sometimes is a, is a supernatural strength. And they couldn't hold the Everything, he busts loose and everything, and he's running around naked as the day he was born, barking at the moon, scaring everybody to death. And here comes Jesus right into the middle of this guy's mess. That, that's what he does. That's who he is. Glenda? Where's Glenda? There's Glenda. Would you come? Would you come, Glenda, and just, would you just share with folks a little bit of your story? I just want to share a little bit of my story, my testimony, um, from where I came from to where I'm today. Um, four years ago, um, I was living in fear. Um, I was scared to leave my house. We didn't have any visitors. None of my family came over to visit. Um, my boyfriend was a drug dealer. Our house got shot up. The car got shot up. My kids couldn't have friends over because we was just so overprotective of who was out to get us. And I prayed. I went to went to the church one day, um, Temple of Judah, and I prayed for the Lord to take me out of the relationship that I was in. That Monday or Tuesday, I got a phone call from the um, FBI, and he said that he was um, going to help me out of my situation. And he, my um, boyfriend got locked up on the way to take my daughter to work. And I still struggle with believing that the Lord had brought me through, through my situation. So I went, I went back when he was released, I went back with him, and um, another tragedy happened, and I just, in that, at that point, it was to decide whether or not I'm going to put my kids first, or I'm going to still live in this nightmare, and I decided to put my kids first, and to get out of that nightmare, and God has brought me through the, through the situation, and today, I cry of joy, and I have a smile that is of happiness, and, I, and I, today I'm, I'm happy that I'm free. I'm happy that I'm alive, because four years ago, I could be, not be able to stand in front of you and tell my story, or my kids couldn't be in a situation where we were being apart. And today, I have a two-year-old granddaughter that I'm very blessed to see being born. And four years ago, I don't think that I wouldn't be able to to see her being born, to even be standing here. Glenda's going to be baptized today, by the way. That's, that's who he is, folks. That's what he does. He meets us in the middle of our mess. Throughout Scripture, you find Jesus meeting people right where they are. Now, sometimes some people's messes may look bigger than other people's messes. But can I tell you, basically all of us have a big mess in life before we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He met uh, Andrew and James and John and Peter while they were fish, fishing. He met Matthew while he was collecting taxes. He met Zacchaeus up a tree, for goodness sakes. He met a Samaritan woman living a life of immorality at a well. That's, that's who he is. That's what he does. He just meets people right in the middle of their mess. Listen, can I say to you today, if you're here and you've never entered a relationship with Jesus Christ, can I tell you this? He's not waiting for you to clean up your mess. 
He's waiting for you to open the door. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him and he with me. In other words, I'll have this relationship with you. I'll have this fellowship with you. By the word, the Greek verb there is a present continuous tense. In other words, the idea is Jesus is, is continually there knocking and saying, Won't you let me come in? Won't you let me come into the middle of your mess? Oh, it's a big mess, Jesus. You don't want to come in here now. Yeah, that's exactly where I want to come. I want to come into your mess. And I want to clean it up. Listen, um, you, you may not have demon possession, but can I tell you there are things and needs in your life that only Jesus Christ can meet. And he's standing at the door and he's just saying, listen, where? and you may be here and you're a believer, but you may still have some mess in your life that he wants to, to meet you in. Sometimes people say, yeah, but uh, I hear you, Pastor. I hear you. Yeah, you say he's knocking, but, but you don't know me. You don't know my past. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You know what? You're probably right. I, I don't. But he does, and he's still knocking. He's still saying, won't you let me come in? Now, listen, this guy, he's possessed by a demon, but people can be possessed by a lot of things, ladies and gentlemen. Alcohol, drugs, uh, other drugs can, can possess a person can control them, can make them do things that they don't want to do. Anger can possess a person. Fear can possess a person. Pornography can possess a person. Sexual immorality can possess a person. Greed can possess a person. Money can possess a person. On and on we can go. And all of it will make your life a complete and total mess. And Jesus says, I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want to come and meet you in the middle of your mess. And I want to clean it up for you. That's who he is. That's, that's what he does. Let me share a second aspect with you this morning. And it's this. Transformation takes place when Jesus deals with your mess. Let's look at verse 7. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. Isn't it interesting? He's... The demon uses the name of God on God. And he seems to clearly know that Jesus is God. I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine, so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them. And they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Transformation takes place when Jesus meets you in your mess, but then when he deals with your mess. Suddenly this guy uh, is, the demon begin to speak out of this guy. As he comes rushing up. And listen, I told you at the beginning, this is, this is some strange stuff. This is weird stuff. I mean, you read this and you think, whoa, this could be a Jerry Springer episode. And he comes running up. Like I said, I think it's interesting that he uses the name of God on God. 
I also think it's pretty interesting that these demons had no problem tormenting this man day after day, night after night, but they sure didn't want the Son of the Most High God to torment them. Oh, no, don't torment us. Bizarre, isn't it? And here he is in the midst of all of this stuff, and Jesus begins to deal with it. Jesus begins to say, come out of this man. Now, the demons identify themselves as legion. We are legion. Now, legion was a technical military term for the Roman army, and it meant uh, an army of as up to or as much as 6,000 foot soldiers. A legion could be as many as 6,000 foot soldiers. I think that this is simply the demon's way of saying there's a lot of us. There's a lot of us. Now, we don't know how these demons came to possess this man. We don't know exactly. All we know is this guy's life is a mess. All we know that this guy is in serious trouble. He's in luck because the guy that can take care of all of his troubles has come to town. And he begins to deal with his mess right away. Not waiting for him to clean it up, like I said, but meeting him right in the middle of his mess and dealing with it. He tells him to come out of him. Now, not really sure why the demons ask to stay in that region, but Scripture does seem to indicate that while they are here on earth, demons appear to be territorial. They are in certain parts of the world that they, that they interact and work in. Why they went into the pigs is fairly obvious. They didn't have much other choice. Jesus clearly was not going to let them stay in this man, and he certainly was not going to let them go into anybody else. And so the nearest creature creatures were these pigs. Uh, now, that says a little something about them when a pig will do just as much as, as good as a man, I guess. But they go into the pigs, and you read the story. They run headlong off the cliff. The pigs do... All right, and they all commit mass suicide. I know, I know. Now, it, it, it could be asked, well, why did, Jesus, why did Jesus let them go into the pigs? I mean, that, that, wasn't, that doesn't seem like a very nice thing for Jesus to let them go into the pigs. Listen, any answer I give would be purely speculation, okay? We, we don't know everything, and it would just, just be speculation. But I can certainly say this, that this demonstration was as these demons came out of this man, and, 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 and went into these pigs, and the reaction of the pigs, it certainly would have shown the serious nature, the serious condition that this man was in. It would have been a very strong visual. Whoa, that's what was going on inside of that guy? Also, uh, not to be mean or anything, uh, but it's not like, I mean, these pigs weren't like the family pet. It's not like, you know, Jesus let them go into Fido or something. These pigs were being raised for market, okay? They're being raised to be sold off for food to eat. By the way, we don't know that the owners of the pigs weren't able to retrieve the pigs and still sell their meat at market. We don't, we don't know any of that stuff. The point is, whatever it takes, whatever the need is, Jesus meets us right where we are, and he deals with the issues in our life. Kara, come up and share briefly a little of your story of transformation, if you will, please, ma'am. Uh, my name's Kara, and uh... Pastor Clay wanted me to share my testimony today. Um, So I grew up Mormon, and uh, some of you might know a little bit about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Some might not, so I'll give you, in a nutshell, a uh, synopsis. Um, Joseph Smith was displeased with all the churches at his time, so he wanted to find out the truth, and so he went into the woods, and he prayed for God to reveal the truth to him, and uh, he 
says an angel came and gave him what ends up being the Book of Mormon, which always makes me think of Galatians 1, 8, and 9, where it says, um, Paul tells us that in warning us not to follow another gospel, a different gospel, uh, even if it's brought to a man by an angel from heaven, that that man will be cursed. And then in verse 9, he even says, I repeat, the man preaching another gospel, even if by an angel from heaven, will be cursed. So, that said, uh, like I said, the Book of Mormon resulted from this. It was um, golden plates that nobody's ever seen that Joseph Smith and his brother and cousins translated, and that's pretty much the basis of the teachings and the church services um, in the Mormon church. And that always makes me think of Revelation 22, 18, and 19, where we're told any, any additions or subtractions from, and I'm paraphrasing, sorry, from God's word, uh, may a thousand plagues be upon you, I think it says. So anyway, that said, they say they believe in the Bible. I didn't study anything in the Bible when I was there. We used the Book of Mormon. And uh, so the gospel that Joseph Smith teaches is the gospel that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. And that has paved the way for you to earn your salvation, which makes me think of one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2.8. Grace is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I grew up thinking Jesus was rules, rules, rules. And uh, the church reminded me a lot of the Pharisees that um, Jesus talked chastisingly to very often um, when he was here. So when I left the rules, rules, rules that I thought was Jesus, I went to college and I rebelled, rebelled, rebelled. (laughs) And I'm very thankful that God in his mercy, when I didn't even know him, and uh, I even hated him, I hate to say, I I was like Paul pre-road to Damascus, chief sinner, you know, hated Jesus, hated Christians, thought the whole thing was just ridiculous. And he still protected me from so many bad decisions. Hannah blessed me along the way with a lot of seed planters, um, including my grandmother, who passed away when I was in high school. Um, so intercessory prayer really does work. I think she and her prayers are one of the reasons I'm standing here today. And uh, so anyway, lots of seed planters that just really demonstrated God's love, uh, knowledge of God's word, could answer my, well, how come? But what about this? Well, why this? And just really, like I said, exemplified um, Jesus' love, one of those being my husband, uh, who obviously was slightly backslidden at the time to be having a heathen fiancé. Um, thankfully for him and for me on our wedding day, I gave my life to the Lord and I don't know why it's taken me nine years, but nine years later, I'm looking forward to, uh, following one of Jesus's commands and being baptized today. I was telling Pastor Clay when we talked that, uh, you know, Jesus asked us to do a lot of things, turn the other cheek, um, love others more than ourselves, give away our coat. And he asked us to be baptized. Those other things are really hard. (laughs) still working on those. He's working on those in me, but I can do the baptism thing and uh, be pleasing to my Lord for all that he's done for me. Thanks, Kara. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> That's who he is. That's what he does. The Kara needed answers. The demon-possessed man needed to, to have someone that had the authority to pull this, remove these demons from his life. What do you need in your life? I'm telling you, Jesus is the one that can meet that need. Do you need love? He is love, 1 John chapter 4. Do you need peace? He's the Prince of Peace, Isaiah chapter 9. Do you need a friend? (laughs) Don't we at times? He's a friend that sticks closer to a than a brother, Proverbs 18. 
Do you need a shoulder to cry on? He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53. Do you need to make your way in the darkness? He's the light of the world, John chapter 8 and 9. Do you need a firm foundation to build your life on? He's the solid rock, Matthew chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Folks, I say it again. You may not have a demon possession that you have to deal with, but all of us have issues. All of us have things that only Jesus can meet in our lives. And that's just the way it is. Let me give you one other real quickly uh, before we uh, close this morning. Transformation continues when Jesus uses your mess. It's so good that this ties into our Mission Emphasis Sunday because this is, this is really what this is all about, folks. Let me read it to you real quickly. Verse 14. Their herdsmen ran away and reported in the city and in the country, and the people came to see uh, what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had, who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to implore him to leave their region. And he was getting into the boat. Watch this. And the man who had been demon-possessed... I think, like I said, I think this is why Mark just concentrates on this one man, because I think he's the one that came up. Demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. Jesus, I want to go with you. And he did not let him. What? That's got to be a typo. But he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away. And began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Two things that, are, that jump out to me in there. One is that these people are more concerned about the fact, apparently, that they've, that they've lost a whole herd of swine than the fact that God has miraculously set free this man who, who was bound in darkness. But if it's all about the dollar, then it's all about the dollar at times. But what jumps out at me even more is this fact that this guy says, Jesus, let me get in the, I want to go with you. Let me get in the boat. Jesus says, you can't go with me. You can't go. What, what, what's, what's up with that? Doesn't that seem just the opposite? And wasn't he trying to get people? No. If you think about it, the reason for not letting him go makes perfect sense. This guy now had a story to tell. This guy had now been delivered by the power of God in his life. And who better to receive that message than the people who had known him the way he was before? The people that had seen the way he had acted, that had seen his conduct, that had seen the, the darkness envelop his life. Who better to take that message to than this guy? By the way, uh, in Luke chapter 7, there's this passage where uh, Jesus says, and again, he, or the text says, and again, he went out from the region of Tyre, Jesus did, and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. Jesus was going to come back that way, and he needed somebody to go before him to prepare the people's hearts. They weren't ready right then. They were scared. If you're, oh, Jesus, get away, you know, run, get out of here. We, no, we, don't, we can't handle this. Jesus needed an ambassador. To go and prepare the people's hearts. Can you imagine? I'm telling you. Can you imagine what it would be like sitting around the campfire with that guy? The stories he could tell to sit down and talk about all the long nights, all the loneliness, all the heartache, all the fear, all the anxiety, all the craziness of his life. And to be able to say, but a man came and met me and he has set me free from all of that. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I said this earlier, one way or another. It, it, most of our lives have some type of mess in it. 
before we come into relationship with Jesus. It might not be demon possessing you. It might not be drugs. It might be, but, but there's some type of mess in our lives. And you start to tell people about there's, there's somebody out there that can clean up your mess. There's somebody out there that can, that can bring healing and restoration and transformation to your life. I'm telling you, people will listen to that. They'll listen to that. Unica, would you come and tell a little bit of your story about transformation? Hello, I, um, I grew up in what I thought was a, um, we were a church family. I was uh, baptized as a child. Um, my parents, we went to church, um, which a lot was uh, more tradition, uh, Baptist church. Our household never um, really resembled a praying family. Um, if we prayed, it was on your own individual case. And um, I come to know God as a God who, if there was a problem, uh, you called on him. Other than that, uh, everything else was pretty much at my own hands. My life, where I worked, what I did, um, was all up to me. So uh, needless to say, growing up, um, being baptized really meant anything because my life did not reflect that. Um, I, uh, my mom was uh, what I considered submissive uh, towards my dad, so I had a relationship with men that I was kind of a love-hate. It was more or less what I could sort of get from you and uh, kind of move on, so I partied. Um, drank a lot. I got married, um, still not understanding the true meaning of marriage. Um, I loved my husband. He loved me, and uh, we thought we had it together as well. And uh, needless to say, um, over the span of our marriage, things started to kind of fall apart. And again, not really knowing who I could call on or who to talk to other than me trying to fix everything as independent and as controlling um, as I am. Um, I, I just, I didn't know God. And then uh, as time went on, and I could hear God speaking, oddly enough, even though in my, my so-called relationship that I didn't have with him, I heard him talking to me and telling me things or that voice. And I would blatantly tell the voice, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm doing things, you know, my way. And uh, in uh, 2010, Miss, uh, I have it all together, life and everything, uh, my husband left. Um, and he just pretty much kind of left me with uh, everything. Um, before him leaving, I felt in my heart that I was fine anyways because I was doing everything, you know, I, I, I got this until um, he left. Um, but a little bit prior to that, God had been starting to work on me. I started to want to go to church a little bit more, I'm still trying to figure out things, but um, I started drinking a lot um, uh, every day. And with my job, needless to say, that was part of the... Uh, come down after you've been flying all day long, and it's a relaxing time, but it got to be something that I was doing every day on the road, and then every day when I got home with my friends, and as things started to get worse, it just became my, my crutch for the most part. So um, when my husband finally left, my entire world changed. I still never praying to God like I should, just kind of calling on him, but not really knowing that he actually loved me. In, in such a way, um, and that I could love him and that he could do everything for me because he was just a God that, hey, I got a problem, help me fix it, and then that's it and let me move on. Um, when my husband left, um, my whole world changed. Um, I don't know what happened. I can't really explain it. I just know that uh, God stepped in and almost tied me down for the most part. Um, I tell people I, I sat and read the Bible in probably about 30 days because I just could not leave my house. But I was reading the Bible and still drinking and justifying the two because I felt like I could drink and because it says, you know, they're drinking in the Bible, so it's okay. So 
I would drink uh, while I was um, reading, and then um, I don't know what happened. Something just said, that's it. That's, that's enough. And uh, I stopped drinking, and God just took a hold of me. Um, not without cleaning my life out completely. Um, I lost friends, um, family. Uh, everyone just could not understand what I was going through. I could not explain it myself. And I have to say that even though I tried to push people away, God has a way of... Uh, taking care of people that you can't push away. And there's a lovely young lady in my neighborhood who um, I got sick, and um, I even tried to push two of my closest friends, Kimberly and Nate, away um, in December. I just, I didn't want anyone around because I wanted my husband. I still wasn't, I just wanted my husband. And um, I tried to push everyone away, and um, I ended up in the emergency room, and um, this young lady put her family to bed, and it was 9 o'clock at night, and drove about 15 minutes to the emergency room where I was, and when the nurse came back to tell me someone was there, because I, I blatantly told everyone else not to come, or just, I didn't need them, and uh, when she told me who it was, I knew, um, you know, that's when things started to kind of change, and I knew that God loved me. And that I can have a relationship with him and, and, um, and build on that. Um, needless to say, he's been cleaning out my life. And Chris, I just want to say thank you, too. Um, he's been cleaning out my life, and it has been a process. Um, my husband and I are still separated, but during this whole transformation, um, everything that my husband has done, um, God has placed a love in me so strong for him that I have been standing um, for my marriage um, now. Um, I understand the person that I was was not what God wanted for me, and my relationship with God is um, so much different. I'm so dependent on him. Um, it is, uh, I, I can't, um, for lack of words, but I just know that if um, you know, if you want a relationship with him, if you love him, you, just, you know that you love him, and, and he knows if you just love him and let him love you, he will take care of absolutely everything. And my husband and I, we're better. Um, it's bad to say a separation was what was needed, but um, in our cases, in order for God to straighten me out, he had to rip me from everything, friends, family, uh, everything, in order to get my life together. So, there. Thanks. we got to close. That's who he is. That's what he does. Now, Unica... We've got several folks, other folks are being baptized today. Unique is not going to be baptized today because she's got some family that want to be here, so Unique will be baptized in a few weeks. But folks, you've got a guy that's controlled by who knows how many demons. Glenda comes out of no church background at all, radically unchurched. Kara comes out of a false religion. Unique comes out of a, a Christian background, but without ever actually knowing who this God was. You see... What I'm saying is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are, what you've done, who you are. It doesn't matter how old you are, young you are. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't, it doesn't ma- None of that stuff matters. What matters is that Jesus will meet you in the middle of your mess. He will give you exactly what you need to clean it up. And then he will use you to go and impact other people's lives and work in it. Because guess what? They got messes too. They got messes too. And Jesus just wants to go and work in their lives as well. Clearly, the demons had a tight hold on this man's life. He had lost everything to them, but all of that changed when Jesus showed up. As Pastor Clay reminded us today, demon possession is real. 
But the truth is, there are a lot of things that can possess us. So many people are controlled by something in their life. They feel trapped, hurting, and totally alone. But all of that changes when Jesus shows up. Jesus transforms our lives into a life that is rich and rewarding, a life worth living. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.